Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Drifting Prime, and I am your host, Gerald Hernandez. This episode is brought to you by Aeromotive Fuel Systems. Aeromotive is a leading manufacturer of aftermarket high-performance fuel systems. The company's products are the fuel components of choice, Formula Drift Drivers, Matt Field, and Dayo Shahara. Aeromotive's fuel system customization shop is fully equipped to help you get your project car up and running. With fuel systems capable of supporting more than 3,000 horsepower, they're sure to be a solution for you. This week's guest is Farouk Kawai coming on to talk about the Winter Jam shootout. Sorry, let me rephrase. Winter Jam running concurrent with a Pro 2 shootout or Pro Spec shootout that they're going to have as well. Um, And we kind of get into some other stuff because we are both car guys and we kind of talk about that stuff a little bit. Um, Also, two guys who live in California and I had a lot of questions. He had some interesting things. So I kind of asked him a couple things about some other stuff that, you know, was a little off topic and whatnot. Um, But he does go into the, the episode, the episode, geez, he does go into detail about like the whole prospect shootout and stuff like that. Um, It is a little bit scattered since... You know, I was a little bit all over the place, but definitely a lot of information here you guys are going to want to listen to. Um, lastly, uh, I want to give a shout out to Neverlift Consulting with Tati Zimer. She um, kind of went through my whole, um, my previous deck, and then we, she worked with me on some things. I wanted to rewrite some things, and I really wanted a better layout than what I had previously, and she's she did a, a much, much better job than I ever could. Um, so I do want to say you guys should definitely give her, send her a message or something. Just tell her what you want. Um, I think I'm starting to realize that it's kind of hard, um, for that aspect of, uh, to sell something without giving away all of the details and someone just copying your work and recreating it. Um, but what I will say is that she does tailor to each individual driver. So, you know, the more information you give her, the better end result you're going to get when it comes to your driver deck. So just be mindful of that. Like, I I, I was completely honest. Like, I was like, well, how do I tell people about this? But it, it makes more sense now that I've thought about it. Like, you really have to kind of see it, you know, um, something you don't like she'll be like what do you not like talk to her she will make the changes until you like it um which is a really good thing you know you don't really get that sometimes you can get somebody who's like oh well that's what i did and now to change it i'm gonna charge you more money because that's more time um so you know she works with people it is definitely worth the money she's charging um you know i don't think 250 bucks which is i believe that's what it last was it could be different now but i don't think the 250 bucks that you're going to spend on this um, is too much because to be mindful of like if you act when you start landing sponsorships with these things, that two hundred fifty dollars goes a long, a lot. I meant to say a lot and a long goes a lot, <laughs> a very long way because you know when you start saving, you know you get percentages off, and if you start adding that stuff up, you know you save more than the two fifty. So it's it's well worth it. Um, Thank you to RZ Racing. That's my wheel sponsor. Um, pretty sick. We need to get some more wheels out there to more people. Working on that soon. Uh, Finish Line Factory. Appreciate it. 
they do all my plumbing outside of my fuel system for the race car and lastly driftknuckles.com who are the reason that there is a steering mod for the ctsv but anyways thank you guys for listening and i hope you enjoy this episode of drifting pro-am how are you sir i'm good man how you guys doing oh right here living the dream you know how it is to live in california it ain't cheap here right <laughs> uh Anyways, uh, we'll get right into it. If you want to uh, just go ahead and introduce your, introduce yourself, who you are, what you drive, where you drive, and all that fun stuff. Sure. Um, my name is Farouk Wai. I, um, I've lived in NorCal a good part of my life. Um, I was raised here, and then I moved back here after uh, some time in Europe. I drive a couple S chassis at the moment. Uh, some people know me from my time in an E92, and I, I run a local grassroots drifting series and i compete in pro one uh when i can afford it ah then that makes sense for pro one is not cheap <laughs> i was thinking about that today how it yep, costs a lot more for a driver to even get there and then you get like a fan who pays 50 bucks to tell you not nice things <laughs> <laughs> no it's, it's all good that's part of the sport and it's part of uh that's i mean you yeah. don't love that part of it. You're uh, you got no business there. So that's yeah, true. If you don't, if you can't handle it, that's that is fair. Uh, yeah, man. So it looks like uh, you guys are doing the uh, shootout out there up at uh, for during Winter Jam. Yep, that's the that's the plan. So we um, we do the shootout if uh, if we can do it right. That's kind of how we we do it. So um, uh, I I partner with Brian Eggert at US Drift. Okay. Funny enough, I'm actually wearing one of his shirts today, which is, you know, not planned. Yeah. But uh, so when when the topic came up of doing the shootout up at Sonoma, um, I wanted to make sure that the guys that are going to be competing uh, get the best taste of what the judging will be like. And so with Brian, um, he brings in either, you know, he, he himself is an FD judge and he brings the, either other FD judges or FD staff to get it done. You know, and gotcha. that's, uh, I think the right way to do it. So, um, we did it, we did a summer jam shootout, um, in the summer of 2019, then in 2020, uh, the sky fell. So yeah. we, uh, we were planning on doing one at winter jam and that didn't work out, but, uh, the goal for this winter jam is to do it again. We've got a bunch of guys that are interested. And if we get, um, at least 20 signups by November 1st, we'll do it. So that's kind of, uh. I think we will. We've got a good amount of traction so far, so that's uh that's the barometer of how we're gonna do it. Yeah, it seemed like, yeah, because I got thrown into that group chat and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm down. But right. That's cool. how it, that's how it ends up. Because like, had it been announced, I would have been like, ah, oh, no, I should save my money. And then they were like, do you want to go? Like as a direct invite, I was like, okay. Yeah, because it's, it's a, I mean, <laughs> pro am. It's it's funny because you know if winter jam is an incredible event and it's turned into uh, a festival of sorts and, you know, getting a, a random invite of knowing that that event's happening is different than being invited to pro-am, you know, and uh, pro-am's tough, man. It's uh, it's an arduous process to get, if, if you, if you're really competing in order to get a pro two license or I'm sorry, pro spec license, it's uh, it'll, it takes a lot of wherewithal. Yeah. It's uh 
well down here in uh Pro-Am, you know, you don't really get like title sponsorship so much, like so everything's out of pocket. You know, yep. some guys do. Some guys are actually able to pull it off and kudos to them. I envy them. But it's it is a it's a uphill battle between keeping a running car and then coming up with enough money for tires, entry fees and all that fun stuff, plus travel now. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um it, it, I think it's a good way of, you know, planning what's what's to come, you know, with uh there there's nothing cheap about competitive drifting. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> finding that out yeah. early on yeah. is a good thing. Right? Uh yeah, and then uh, we, it, well, you guys did a uh shootout in 2019 which you had mentioned. Um that was your first shootout that you had kind of like ran or yeah. Okay. That's our first shootout. Yeah. So in 2000, uh, what was it? Wow. 16, I think we hosted a round of Golden Gate Drift. Mm-hmm. And before that, you know, we hadn't done any kind of competition since 2000. I mean, we do a competition every year at Winter Jam, but it's a friendly thing. Yeah. It's not, you're not, you're not, you're fighting for, um, you know, you're right. not fighting for a, a license of any sort. Yeah. So 2000, I guess 16 would have been the first year that we did Pro Am. Um, there ever uh i think it was 16 uh in conjunction with um golden gate drift and we just essentially uh hosted a round of theirs uh in their championship so i was always wondering about that because i remember when i first got into drifting was like in 2015 i saw that like golden golden gate drift was a thing yep and then like not too long after that it was gone like i didn't hear anything about it yeah so i mean as an event organizer it's uh it's hard to sustain a series for pro-am because you like you know it. even if you do four rounds right uh-huh. you do four rounds you get 50 60 cars at the first round next round you get 30 cars and then by the third round people are like you know i've got no shot at getting my license i'm just not going to show up and they'd rather go have fun at an event rather than you know investing the money that you're talking about in in a in getting their license and so by i mean i think at the last round First round in when I I got my license my at the time Pro Two license through Golden Gate Drift and the first round I, I we must have had forty cars and then by round four there I think we had eight maybe nine you know what I mean so it was it was you know it dwindled second round had a lot of participation third round not so much and then the fourth round was people that are just going for points you know. And it was, it sucks. And as it think of that from an event organizer standpoint, you're still renting the track. You're, yeah, you, you still, still have hard times. Yeah. Yeah. So mixing it into a shootout has been a great, great uh, thing for event organizers where it, you can, you know, like I can't, there's no way that I would be able to sustain a four round series and bring FD judges there. That's the, there's no business model that that makes sense. <laughs> no, I, that's um, fair. And rolling into a larger event uh, is, I mean, a way that gives, I think, drivers the best, uh, the best experience, you know, Um, and doing it. it, Brian Eggert came up with a really nice, actually, I don't know if he came up with this, but he's been utilizing it. We've been using it, um, a double knockout round, right? So realistically, you know, in Pro-Am, you go to top 16, you get knocked out or top 32, you get knocked out, your, your weekend's over, you know, and that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and with a double knockout uh, round, so there's 40 drivers, no qualification, max 40 drivers, minimum 20. And he has a bracket that let's say, let's say 
you know, we battle one of us, let's say, you know, I lose, I move on to the loser's bracket. I then can keep battling. And if for some reason we, we potentially could even meet again in the final, I would then have to, you, you have to lose twice to be out of the event. Correct. So in the final, if you lost once and then we battled again, and then you lost the second time and I won, there's a potential for losing once going back up the loser's bracket and then winning the, winning the whole event, which is, it's pretty incredible to have that chance. It's uh, it's nice to not also have qualifying because I think that gives a lot of, you know, early competitors, a lot of nerves and everybody really wants to see people battle as well. Yeah. So. I, I think I agree with that. Like you had mentioned about like being top 16 and getting knocked out, but I've been to like a uh, top drift event where like the first round there's like 50 drivers and only yep. 16 dudes get it or not yep. just 16 drivers get it rather. And then, you know, uh, but then there's that argument about like, the whole like not doing the qualifying thing of uh and then going to fd and like having now you have to qualify so now you get those jitters again like i think there's a lot of uh it's not love for the pro two shootouts or the prospect shootouts but there's a lot of uh, controversy with them because of it oh absolutely you know and, and it's it's trying to find a system to prepare people the best right Correct. well yeah creating something that's sustainable that you can do yep. over and over again. So it's, um, it's tricky, you know, there, there's, and as FD has been also going into, um, you know, last year, for instance, I, I competed in pro one and there was no, there was no qualification. And this year, if you look at the way that qualification set up, people don't get any points in qualification. It's really just to, to shuffle the order. It's just to make sure that there's 32 guys that can get around the course and hit all the, Hit all the clips essentially, you know, and yeah, that ma- which makes sense. That I do get that. So as I think, as FD, as we're you know competing in order to compete in FD, I think this has turned into inadvertently a uh, a pretty amicable system for getting guys ready for it. Uh, and there seems to be like a give and take with the shootout versus like a whole pro am series. Like like you had mentioned earlier, like yeah, you get fifty drivers at your first round, and then by your last round, you have eight if you're lucky, right? Um, yeah. And that's mostly Pro-Am is dying because of drivers, not because anything was wrong with Pro-Am, the series. Oh, yeah. Go get drift up, essentially, they're just like, oh, it's not worth my time now. Yep. I mean, you, you look at how, I mean, Golden Gate Drift ran great events. You know, they were fun. It, it was well-organized. You know, Luke, that random, was actually the start line guy from uh, from FD back when he was doing it. And it's, uh, like you said, it's just making it financially sustainable. You know what I mean? If uh, if, if you've allocated that track time, no matter where you are in the world, uh, there is somebody else that could be on it. If there's only eight dudes on it, you know? Yeah. And how, how I mean, you could, I guess, in theory, uh, charge more for those registration spots, but not, I don't think, I mean, as when, when people are struggling to get tires, the last thing you want to do is gouge them with a more entry fee. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's, that's fair too. But, it, and then there's also like a huge, difference in the entry fees from like pro-am to like pro-spec if i'm not mistaken which is a few hundred dollars yeah i mean round. it's uh it's actually you know we're we're charging 500 for our uh for our shootout and that's oh. a it's essentially a, a cost to to get the guys here right and we um the last time it essentially uh broke even you know and the, the at least the the pro am side of it did right the mm-hmm. and that's um you know it's it's uh i don't think 
there there are places in the country where people you know their their pro ms are choosing charging seven fifty, but then they take some of that cash and then put it towards a cash price. That's also a nice motto. I I I don't think that people really can come up with that much for a pro am entry fee. You know, like uh, FD prospect costs about seven hundred to eight hundred bucks per round. Yeah, and, uh, you know you're in that range. It's uh, it sucks, man. Every hundred bucks is counted. You know when yeah. when you're competing and it, really it, it, it set tires very quickly. So yeah, yeah, especially if uh, your card likes to make a lot of smokes. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that's a, that's an that's an interesting thing that you know. I'll, a lot of people talk about these days overbuilding a car for pro am, where it's having a car that you can drive at a really high level with not too much power. I think you're going to see a lot better results with that than throwing, you know, it's, it's so easy to make power these days with any platform and it's not needed in Pro-Am, you know, especially with the, a tire being limited to 255. It's uh it's very easy to uh, get more power than the car really needs. Yeah. That, a good example of that is, uh, I don't know if you know this gentleman, uh, Sean Illingsworth, he's based out of SoCal somewhere. Anyways, he, uh, he did the Drift League shootout earlier this year, mm-hmm. and uh, his 600-horsepower 350Z broke. I don't know what happened. But anyways, he ended up showing up the next day in – or is it 370? Either way. He ended up showing the next day in a stock VQ-powered 350 or 370Z and took second place. Nice. So, like, yeah. that says a lot. Like, you don't need to have it, but you do need to drive really well. Yeah. And being able to drive a car to its limit is yep. uh, is super important, you know. Yeah, uh, most, most judges will see that if you're driving, you know, your three four hundred horsepower car at a hundred percent rather than your eight hundred horsepower car at twenty five percent. Yeah, uh, I think most judges will judge that appropriately. How did uh, where did you get your license at? Through Golden Gate Drift. Oh, okay. So was yeah, it so I, was it a program? Like a full four round pro am series at one point. We did, yeah. So I, I actually did, um, I did uh, Vegas Drift and Golden Gate Drift in the same year, and I, um, I was doing Vegas Drift and then I missed around because I was spotting for Kenny Moen back then, okay. and he was having a year. He was he was on a tear, so I, I actually missed our Vegas round because it it clashed with an FD round. So I said, you know what, I'm going to commit to Kenny. I've, I've committed part of his crew. And, uh, so I, I missed that and I dropped down to 10th in points in Vegas drift. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. And I, I ended up second in points in Golden Gate drift. So. Nice. All right. Yeah. yeah. I was always curious how you got it. And then you went through, how many years of pro two did you do? One. One. Oh, okay. So I think, yeah. which was 2015 or 20. There you go. Good. Yeah. Good memory. Yep. 2015. I, I, it's, it's vague. That was like my first year getting into uh, Formula Drift, so uh, yeah, I can't fun. remember at all. Uh, back then, so like right now, we have Pro Am is obviously where it's at um, with like the the super big overbuilds. Was there kind of the same thing going on back then, or is it very much different in the past? What shit? It's seven years. Sorry, it's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you did. I think. Back then, I think a lot a lot of people understood a lot less about suspension. Um, I had a, a, a pretty large advantage back then, where I was one of the first guys 
uh, on WiseFab. And then I, I helped bring WiseFab to the States back then. So it was, I understood a lot about it and driving that definitely made the car really quick. Um, but the car made 410, you know, back then it made 410 horsepower. So it was kind of run, run mid pack. You know what I mean? As far as power goes back then, even you had cars that made 600 horsepower and then you had cars that made, you know, 250, 350. So it was, it was kind of mid pack as far as power goes. Yeah. Things have, I don't know if they've, maybe you've gone more power in general. I think the average power of the field has definitely gone up, but it's, um, I think a lot of people now understand a lot more about suspension. So in, in general, you have car setups that are pretty freaking dialed, you know? And uh, I think back in 14 and 15, people were just starting to understand suspension setups and what, what can be had with just a really solid suspension setup. So, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, was the jump big back then from pro am to pro two? You know, it, for me, I felt it wasn't because I felt pretty prepared being, I mean, working with Kenny and FD and we, we ran prime, even though it was, it was a tight budget. It was, we ran it pretty efficiently. Like in the last round of uh, pro-am in uh, at Golden Gate Drift, I had a huge wreck, huge wreck and back to front, just destroyed the front end completely in practice and there was like 45 minutes before qualifying oh, shit. and we changed uh alex shea who was my crew chief back then brennan ping and uh you know the guys they changed the whole front subframe changed uh you know like we jacked up the the motor and just changed the front subframe changed the front arm and changed the back uh whole right side of the suspension and like that was in 45 minutes you know the first you know it's it, you you know what you need as spares and what you can potentially break. And you just, you pack them, you know, and, and even if they're, even if your spare setup is a little effed up, you just make sure that that arm that's welded in half, you pack it, you know, because I can't, I can't remember how many times I've, uh, there's, there's a funny story from my first, my, my, my journey in pro one has been, uh, (laughs) has been tumultuous. Let's put it that way. Uh, my first round at um, Long Beach in 2016, I remember packing the, the car into the trailer and I had this radiator from Pro-Am on my shelf. And I, I don't know, I was like, eh, I don't know why. I mean, I have, you know, rear mount radiators pretty much over the uh, over the gas tank. Like, I don't know why in which world I would ever need this, but I'm just going to throw it in the back of the, you know, I'm going to throw it in the enclosed and just like, let's just take it. Who knows, yeah. right? And it had a Taurus fan on it, right? And so I, I'd revamped the car, put a rebuilt it again, put a nice 2J in it, and um, <laughs> show up at Long Beach. And it's the wettest Long Beach has ever been. And I, I hit outer zone, uh, I guess, yeah, outer zone one. So touching on the outer zone one. And it's just, I'm ice skating. And I just slide. This is like, you know, they canceled qualifying because so many people cra- crashing. And I remember that. I, yeah, yeah. I, this is 2016. I, I slam into the wall. This is my first pro round ever. And I just destroy the car that we just built over the winter and without even getting to qualify. And uh, we, lo and behold, because we had that little tiny crappy spare uh, radiator from Pro-Am, we, uh, Marcus Fry, who was my coochie back then, just takes into the pit. I'm about to like lose. I'm just like, you know, I can't believe what I just did. You know what I mean? I feel like crap. 
and uh, he gets and with no new parts except for the radiator and the Taurus fan. <laughs> he rebuilds. He like cuts up all the uh, tubing. He rewelds it all back together. And uh, I guess the moral of the story is bring the spare. Bring the spares because even if it's on the top shelf and you don't have like, <laughs> you'll make you it work. Make it in work. A, trackside. Bring it. Yeah, that's, if you can work trackside, bring it exactly. That, that makes sense. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Actually, that's funny. Uh, what? How was Long Beach? That is like my ultimate dream track because that's the first one I ever went to in 2015. So it's like let me walk over that bridge, and I was like, oh, I want to do this. It's super fun, man. That that tracks that tracks a hoop. Like it's it, it's one of those. I I've uh, traditionally not done well there. Uh, I did okay in the E92 and 18, but uh, long, I mean, in general, um, it's like, you got to feel comfortable with the car. It's not, it's one of those courses that like, I don't know if you've ever had like a practice day where you're just jamming. Everything's perfect. Your suspension setup's good. You're not thinking about anything, but just driving. Mm-hmm. And like, you can put the car wherever you want. Yeah. You got to be at that point with the car to be at Long Beach because it's not, it's not super difficult but to do it right, you got to be boogieing. You got to be jamming. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you got to be driving the car to its limits. And it's not like there's nothing super particularly difficult, but you've got to be driving it uh, in the zone, so to speak. You know what I mean? Because what it, it just all comes together. If you don't initiate right, where if you're too tight to that first rumble strip, you're not going to get to, you're going to have too much grip and you're not going to get to the touch and go. If you don't get to the touch and go, say goodbye to outside zone one. If you don't get to the outside zone one, say goodbye to outside zone two. And then it just, then you just look like a mess. So. Yeah. I can see that. You got to be listening. You got to put yourself in the right headspace too, for that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you got to listen to Shania like, and Twain's man, I feel like a woman to get into that zone. You do that. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, whatever you got to hum. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, damn. I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Uh, how do you like being back in the S14? Because I know you recently sold off the E92 to actually a, a previous guest and friend of mine, uh, RJ. Yeah, I love RJ, man. Uh, so I, I love it. Um, the the biggest thing I had with the E92 that towards it. So Christophs and I were the guys developing with Wisefab. We're giving them feedback on the E92 chassis mm-hmm. and. Um, it was, uh, there was a lot of trials and tribulations with that car. I mean, the, the biggest reason I moved to back to the S14 was one, I just love the S14 chassis. I've been driving it for a long time. And the second and the most kind of weighted decision was I felt like I had to rebuild the E92 completely in order to get it where I wanted it to be. That's- and even then it might not be there. So uh, there's a there's a phenomenon called a polar moment, which is um, like when you're when you're a kid and you put your arms out and you're spinning in a circle and then you bring them in, you'll spin faster as you bring your arms in, arms in right? Mm-hmm. So imagine that with the weight of a car where with the E92, the the, far, uh, the sorry, the fuel cell was behind the rear diff, behind the diff essentially, and the radiator was behind the diff. And so there's so much weight kind of on or behind the rear axle that once you pitched it, it just stayed at angle for literally ever. Like it was awesome because you could just hold massive angle for, and you wouldn't spin because that's so much rear traction, but it would just hold this massive amount of angle. If you wanted to do something aggressive, 
you have to do all kinds of funky stuff with the throttle and just uh, we were building so much grip into it that it became uh very temperamental and so with the 14 um i just i went through the paddock i looked at cars i liked the way they transitioned and moved and i knew that i wanted to move the weight more central and with the 14 we actually did a center radiator so the radiators uh in front of the rear shock tower behind the behind the seats so it's in like kind of where the the seats would be and the car is incredible like it's uh it's yeah it's wild it just transitions on a top on it just transitions from a center point and it's um yeah some i mean it could be looser i, I definitely need more time in this car mm. but it's uh it's a lot of fun i mean it's it's the most fun car i've ever driven it um you know with with that i was also we changed the leverage point on the that was affecting the the rear spring rate and so we can run a crazy soft spring and still not go, uh, you know fly through the travel we can run a ton of anti-spot in the back and it actually, you know, the, this chassis is taking all the inputs that we put in there. So it's, um, it's a fun car, man. It's, it's absolutely wild to drive. It sounds like almost like you're like relearning the chassis itself because you made so many changes from like your original build that it, oh, yeah. it becomes enjoyable again. Like when you yeah, learn I, something new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think most of us, most of us like drifting because it's a, you know, it's, there's so there's so much tech to it mm-hmm. that it it affects the way you drive, right? No, yeah. you build a car that complements your driving, uh, hopefully, right? <laughs> that's yeah, what we yeah, all yeah. for. Yep, fingers um, crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And so that's that's uh, that's what I mean is enticing to me, at least. You know, this car is pretty freaking bent um, from my crash at Irwindale last year, <laughs> uh, but it uh, it still drives amazing. I mean, it aligns. We got all the suspension pickup points where they need to be. And uh, it's yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. So. I, that Irwindo wall is no joke. I I uh, I crushed an E46 there. Uh, so. I I actually, you know, it's funny. I've, I've I've bounced off that wall many times, like touched it, and then just throttle in. Uh, behind die, we were we were dealing with some power things, where like my boost controller essentially, long story short, wasn't uh, turned on. That's a, that's embarrassing to say, but it wasn't it wasn't turned on. And so we were before dials like, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. Let's throw, I mean, sorry for swearing, but yeah, let's throw the beans at it. And, um, I ended up fading up onto that wall. And the minute I touched the wall, the car cut out. So the logs are like 8,100 to zero. So it just cut the car out, put the front end of the wall, ripped the wheel off immediately. So there goes my brakes. And then it's, uh, I was just, it was pretty intense. <laughs> but yeah, Sounds it was, like a party. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a party. Yeah. Yeah. Your uh, D46, you, where, which wall do you, do you do, inner bank or outer bank? It was the last round, so we do FD layout. Oh, fun. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, not so for So it bank. was, uh, yeah. I broke an axle in the burnout box. Um, didn't, I was, I was new. I didn't know. I had no idea what I was doing, by the way. Uh, still don't, arguably. Um, but, I broke an, an axle in the burnout box, paid no attention to it because I heard a weird noise. I was like, couldn't be anything serious. So I was trying to clutch kick in at the bank and it just would not break the rear loose. And eventually it just gripped up and went right into the wall. Oh, man, it sucks. So yeah, that, that was that, real fun. Well, there's a clutch there the next year. Or yeah. the flywheel blew up and actually uh, took out like my engine uh, with it. Oh, and my wow. housing. What's so. it? What Actually, motor was it? Uh, 
you know the the FD rule for um the SFI bell housing? Yep. That's because of me. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I found out uh Mike Kojima Mike Kojima told me about it at uh the earlier shootout this year for the Drift League. Um he's like, Oh, by the way, he's like, I showed Kevin the pictures of what happened with your bell housing. He's like, That's why the rule exists. And I was like, Yes. Crazy. Yeah. Uh gotta gotta own that one. Uh uh-huh. right. What's I know we were here to talk about uh the uh shootout. Let's do it. I'm so interested in your stuff too. Is sorry, it's just like the whole talk being able to talk to someone who's gone through all the ranks is kind of different. I haven't well no I have. I've had uh, another pro driver as well. Uh but just to hear a different story or a different perspective at least is very interesting to me, at least at minimum. Um with the uh shootout, so we're doing a minimum of twenty drivers by November first, right? Yep. And if you don't mind me asking, can we can we say how many people we have now? Uh, Confirmed. I you know what I didn't check this week, so I can't tell you. I think it was five or eight so far. So we, with a month left, we got like we're you know the the initial people that said they were going to sign up signed up, and then the we have a little group of what twenty five people now on yeah. a on an Instagram chat. That's it's a little clandestine. It's not the normal way of doing things, but it's an interesting way of it's working. <laughs> it's working. It's working. Yeah. People yeah. can ask questions, and it's not like I think the the people that are serious about doing it, uh, it's nice because it's funny. The last time I did a Facebook group with it, and then I guess a lot of people don't have Facebook anymore, which is don't blame the me. world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Justin, uh, not Justin. Uh, why am I forgetting his name? DJ Mata. Uh, well, yeah, asked me like, hey, can we can we get this? You know, what's up? Like, how many people do we got? I'm like, well, I've had interest from like five to ten people. I was going to open a registration. It's like, why don't we, you know, start a little group? And that's that's a great idea. So yeah. if there's a pe- other feedback that people have, you know, this is not, there's nothing hardlined here. Like let's, uh, if something's not working, talk to me. If something would work better and you like what we're doing, tell me. Like it's it's about the drivers. Like I, I, I there's no ego here. It's so an open if, door policy. Oh, absolutely. Talk, like yeah. if people, if, if this is for drivers to get their, to get their, you know, experience and also license. Yeah. And if they, if they need something, Please let me know, and we'll uh, we'll try to make it happen. Give me one second, boss. One second. Sorry about that. Nice. All right. Um, yeah, that's good to have open door policy. Have you guys got any um, feedback yet for it for your previous ones, or have you guys done like pretty well? It's. I think we generally do pretty well. I think there's a lot of questions about tech, um, and we'll probably start fueling those a lot more in October. Um, it's nice that, uh, formula D now has a pro-am rule book, which kind of standardizes standardizes everything like Probably. nationally. And I think in 19, we were probably one of the first guys to adopt it. Um, where we said, Hey, we're, we're going to try to follow this to a T. And, um, Kevin came in and did the tech for that one. Kevin Wells, the, F, uh, the technical director of FD came in yeah. and did, um, the stuff for that. And this time I think us drift's going to, tech it tech for the prime rule book so it's you know if you have any questions it's uh it's pretty easy just google it and if there's any specific yeah. questions about that uh that rule book you know write to us and i'll I'll try to forward people on to the right people it's also so. on fd's website on the bottom where it says rule book 
You know, I've never found it that way. I literally just really? Google oh. or the Pro Am rulebook. <laughs> I'm lazy. And uh yeah, that's that's cool. That's on their site though. Now they know how two ways to get it. <laughs> now I know, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Um so it's gonna be a minimum of twenty, and that's kinda like basically you guys are breaking even at that point, I assume. Um maximum forty, and then how does the double elimination work with the twenty bracket? So you yeah. essentially just skip people and have buys, uh, which is, you know, uh, always a fun, fun thing. I think last time we had exactly 20 drivers in 19, 20 or 21. And yeah, I mean, there, it's a luck of the draw. You know what I mean? It's completely randomized bracket. Um, we put it through, you know, US Drift's computer and hit random a couple of times and it just mixes everybody up. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes people get lucky. Well, they're, they'll have, you know, They'll have a couple of buys in a row, or they'll be straight into battles in what would be potentially the top thirty-two or top sixty-four, depending on how you look at the bracket. Mm, and it's uh, okay. That's what I was kind of curious about. So, yeah, that's like what I mentioned earlier. There's the the give and the take to the pro am versus the shootout, and I feel like that's the yeah. uh, not only not only is that like a blessing, but that's also a curse. You can also get a guy who gets his license by complete accident, or just an who you know maybe isn't ready for the prospect stuff but got lucky because no one signed up or not enough drive there weren't enough drivers and that's why with the 20 drivers minimum it would it kind of works where you're at least going to have uh as many you have to win as many battles as you would in like a two round series you know what i mean so maybe it's not as much as you would in a four round series Mm -hmm. but when you look at how many drivers show up in a four round series towards the end, the dry, the battle count gets pretty close. You know what I mean? As far as like where, you know, for instance, when there was, you know, eight drivers in, in our final round, we just had a top eight. Yeah. And we're in, I don't know. I, there's, there's definitely pros and cons to it. I, I, is it a perfect system? I, no, absolutely. Nothing perfect. But um, I, I think it's a good way to make sure that pro am happens. This is true. This is true. Uh, do you see this as like the future of FD licensing where it's kind of like everyone's going to quit the, uh, multiple round series? Um, I think it's the future of FD licensing. I don't think it's the future of competitive drifting. I, one thing that's sad in the States is that there's not, I mean, this is obviously a pro-am podcast, so there's not too much reason to talk about other competitive drifting, but I think there's a large space for non FD competitive drifting in the United States. And it's sad that we haven't seen more of that. You know, no, where... I agree. I think there should be, I think the the competitiveness just because there shouldn't be only the option only shouldn't be FD. Like some people like to compete. They don't want to go to FD, but they want to, you know, a little friendly competition, maybe win a couple, a steering wheel or something, whatever the. Yeah, exactly. The and it, you know, similar to what, um, Animal Style was doing with like Super D or Julian was doing, I guess technically it's Julian doing with Super D. It, you know, there's there's a lot of room for fun competitions that are are meant for, I guess, not overbuilt cars. You know, I know that he had rules in there that were very specific to like, you know, the, the top shock um, couldn't be moved. You know what I mean? Like, so you can have a camera plate, but it can't in any way, you can't have like, these crazy crab walking cars, you pretty much couldn't have a Wisefab car, you know, but I mean, you a lot of the companies, Wisefab might have pioneered that, but like you couldn't have, you know, 
everybody does that now with the top hats. So it's, it's it was an interesting way of doing it, you know, trying to keep cars a little less insane, which is, it's fun. You know, I mean, I, I have a street, well, quote unquote street car now, and it's much more fun to, to drive uh, on a, on a Wednesday night than it, my pro car. Like we, I brought the, the S14 out last Wednesday and it was obnoxious to drive because it just, it, you know, but you can't get the tires. You can't get the front tires warm. You can't get, you can't flash the back tires when you're waiting in line with, you know, five, five to 10 other guys. It's just not meant uh, to be run where you're waiting in line for a run hoop. But my other car makes, you know, ha- less than half the power and uh, it's a blast. And it's, that's having the, being able to drive more and not have these crazy overbuilt cars. Hopefully we get, you know, competitive series in the States in the next few years where that's a thing, like that's the goal, you know what I mean? Rather than the goal being uh, FD. And that, that's not to take anything away from FD. FD's incredibly fun and awesome in its own regards, but it's definitely, there's, there's a lot of room in the industry for other types of competition too. Oh, for sure. And like, even like something like clutch kickers. Oh yeah. But that's yeah. only in like one region of the, or one state rather at one track yeah. of the country. Being in California, we forget about that. But yeah, Clutch Kickers yeah. is doing a good job of that. Because yeah, it's I on think... a time track, and I like they do a great job. And I, I know the Clutch Kickers guys very well. And they're good dudes. They they just want what's good for the sport. And uh, yeah, they do, they do a great job out there. So Yeah. Um, have you ever thought about doing like a friendly competition outside of like the Winter Jam thing? Yeah, we, we actually – we tried to start it right before um, right before Corona. Oh. And we did one, <laughs> we did one pair of battles, but on Wednesday nights, uh, I was trying to do call out battles. Mm-hmm. So rather than doing a whole competition every Wednesday, you just do two battles because mm-hmm. every Wednesday night we run on the road course between four and six, and then we run in the paddock between seven and 10. So the road course is, you know, depending on the car, third or fourth gear entry and it's elevation change. It's, it's incredible. You know, it's, it's a really, really fun course. We call it summer jam, but if you're, for those that don't know what it is, it's between turn two and four on Sonoma Raceway. Mm-hmm. And we do that for two hours. And I, we set up this thing where you get two battles in the winner of that battle, a gets a free Wednesday night, but then gets populated into a top 16 bracket online. And then week by week, we just fill out that bracket. Oh, so once you, Right. So it's That's rather than having to like sit through a whole competition, you just you're you're piecing it together. I guess someone's telling me they do some skate competitions this way, too. Uh-huh. So like it lets people have a little bit of competition while not interfering because with the with the fun event that much, because honestly, sometimes competitions can get boring on the grassroots level. Sometimes they're, they're amazing, but at the same time, sometimes they can really get boring. Because, you know, somebody's not ready or somebody's spinning, somebody's crashing constantly, and it, it can drag on. So doing kind of like just two battles, and if those are a mess, then <laughs> you still have a great night of drifting ahead of you. But it's, uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll try to get back to that, I think, in 2022. Uh, it takes a little bit of organization, and uh, at first we were going to do it when we kick back up this year, but there were no spectators, and it's, it'd be fun to have some spectator involvement. So we'll, we'll try that next year and see what what comes of it. Are you guys are you guys able to have spectators up there now? Yep. Oh, okay, sweet. Yeah, I know you guys yeah. are like a little bit more strict than like LA, like just slightly. 
you guys are on the same page, so. Oh, dude, when when uh, Corona happens, Sonoma County was one of the strictest in the state, and it was it was hard. I mean, you, you have other tracks like Thunder Hill, two hours away, opening completely to people, and Sonoma is just telling you no, 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 and it's it was it was a very difficult time, but yeah, I bet. Hopefully, we got through it all. So. Uh, the Wednesday night, is that year-round, or you guys only do that during, like, you guys close it down for? Yeah, it's March that? through November. So we, we do 25 to 29 events uh, a year. Okay. And March, it's usually the second week in March till the second week in November. Oh, okay. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, it runs in conjunction with the drag program that's been there for 30, this was the 33rd year. And this was the 10th year of Sonoma Drift. So it's... Uh, it's been going strong for a long time. But, yeah. Dude, that's sweet. Yeah, because we have Irwindale here, and they do like the Thursday night um, yep. drags. I really wish they would open up the track, but I don't know what's going on. I feel like there's, I don't know, maybe it, it costs a lot of money, though. It's like 75 bucks to drive, or at least it, the last time they had it, it was like 75 bucks to drift on a Thursday night for a few hours. You know, when here we have like Grange and Adams, and it costs the same but you get a whole day of drifting. So a lot of people, well, I agree you would for roughly the same price. So I can see why people aren't really so inclined. Plus the walls apparently are scary. Irwindale is a pretty intense track. Like I, I actually have been there on a Thursday night. Um, this was yeah, 19 or 18, um, like a couple, maybe a month before Irwindale. I went out there and it was, yeah, I mean, it was a decent amount of track time, but yeah, it's also, I mean, Throwing a car at a wall on a, a Thursday night, you know, is uh, on a banked wall like Irwindale is pretty intense <laughs> just on a Thursday night. If you're not competing. I mean, it's I could see how the grassroots side of things would would have trouble with that. I mean, we do have a lot of walls on our paddock, but I try to create courses that are are both for people that are willing to push themselves and then also for the amateurs that we have there as well. Yeah. But speaking you know. of courses, uh, what course are, or is the shootout going to be? The XFD course. So you're going down the old chute of NASCAR mm-hmm. and then firing uh, into that U-turn and then back over again. So, okay. yeah, is that the, is that the, the one that Tanner got a 100-point run on? The first 100 There point? you go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. It's a fun one. Uh, what would be... Um, what have you guys found to be like the most common roll missed or at least not common, not missed, but like the most common issue when it comes to like the car's te- passing tech? Um, I'd say just not reading the rule book, right? Like it's hard to pinpoint it, but usually it's something really dumb and it's like, what? I mean, if it's in there, like, you know, some people say, "Oh, I didn't think you guys were gonna look at that." It's like, well, it's in, the, it's in the rule book. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how you assume that uh, without asking that it's not gonna be enforced. And it's uh, it's right there. Yeah, right there. No, I don't I know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough one. I to the let's see what else. Um, yeah, I, I try to honestly, I try to stay away from tech as much as possible, which doesn't work. Uh, no. <laughs> because um, it it gets very personal to people. They think that you're you're somehow holding them back if you don't let them through something. Um, <laughs> like it's but, your fault. 
Yeah, like you have something against them personally. Yeah, it's like you just I don't know how to. Why are you letting me break this rule? You don't like me. Yeah, exactly. That has nothing to do with it. But yeah, it's it's creating a standard that hopefully there's a lot of I know a lot of prime and also events that just don't have a rule book uh, that's enforced very very much at all. I've heard. Um, so it's, uh, it's nice. I mean, it's, it's nice to have a standard where people just know that like, Hey, this is, you know, most other racing in the world that you, you just follow the tech rules and it's in pro-am it's not very much. I mean, I think the only one really based on performance is the tire size. Um, I don't have the rule book memorized, but I'm trying to think of, you know, yeah, there's suspension pickup points, but the really important thing there is tire size for performance. The rest of it is mainly safety. You know, that's, I know that uh, at least when Kevin was doing it, that's the main thing that he was paying attention to was the safety equipment. You know, he did, if somebody had something funky going on with suspension stuff or, and it wasn't like a huge gross, like point of cheating, you know, he would talk to them about it, you know, whereas in FD, he's really, really, really strict with that. You know I mean? If your subframe is, you know, have a quarter inch off or something like that. He's, you know, you're, you're going to have to space your subframe, but it's uh, in pro at least, I know that he was telling people and warning people, but it was more of um, the, the safety really has to be on point, which is, you know, I mean, not to be the guy leading the event and be an example of things, but I've, I've, I've definitely caught on fire quite a few times <laughs> and I can, I can be a testament to, uh, you know, make sure your fire extinguisher pin is pulled and uh make sure your stuff works you know it's uh yeah it sucks when it sucks when stuff doesn't work it's that way yeah that makes sense and then uh i don't understand why people cut certain corners after you put so much money into a car you know you're like oh here's thirty thousand dollars or whatever your car costs even if it's 10 grand 10 grand is a lot of money and then yeah. for you to not be thorough about certain things like you just got it like that to just put another one together i've seen some like janky things like <laughs> Even yeah, some of my I mean, friends I, I, like they build shit, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, it's, it's like saving it's, money. <laughs> you know, it's the eleventh hour. You didn't have time, and then you look at it. It's like just yeah. take. It's it, it. I've learned a lot of it from making massive mistakes, but just take the extra hour and just do it right. You know, it's it's. Uh, I I've I've made a lot of mistakes and stuff. Do you, and uh, do you build your own cars, like personally. Yeah, I mean, I so I, I'm not a fabricator, but I no, I, no, I put fair. them together. But for the most part, you're doing, you know, the majority of the work. Yep. And now I have a shop now, so my guys also help a lot. Um, oh. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, we we talk about things, the harder things I do, the some different things they do, and it's uh, it's a balance now. The S13, actually, one of my guys, uh, they did a lot of the work on that car, which is fun. You know, it kind of you point and give them direction, and then they they install and figure out stuff. And it was that's a that's a really fun car. That the, the S13s. Came together really nicely. So when did you when did you get that together? I don't think I've seen that yet. Um, I built it in February for Drift Week, and we uh, so it's a two J. We ported the back of the head for EGR because the idea is to make it carb legal. Oh, and uh, so it has a non VVTI Japanese head that we've turned essentially into a, a USDM head. It has a smaller Borg Warner single turbo at the moment. Um, Link ECU for like the off because we haven't really made it street legal yet. Um, and that has a ZF trans and the kicker is that it has a Ford 88 diff. So it has an IRS Ford 88 diff that uh, 
wise fat axles on it as like this kind of testing rear end system that I wanted to test on that car and then possibly put it onto my pro car um, as the S14 subframe with the 488 and wise fab axles and all of wise fabs uh, street knuckles. So they have a, they have a non pro kit. And so it has their, uh, they're labeled sometimes in Europe, they're labeled under the drift uh, drift works brand, but they're designed and built by wise fab. So it's their GeoMaster threes. Oh shit! I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and their their front knuckles are sick because they have uh, a road race and a drifting setup. So they have both um, both KPI points built into the knuckles, so you can like unbolt the bottom um, ball joint and then move it over, and then you have like a road road race knuckle, so to speak, or more of a like a drag a, a less trail knuckle. It's fun, yeah. And then the back knuckles obviously a drop knuckle and then also have double e-brake setup but that car um i don't even have a hydro e-brake on that car i love it with a stock e-brake and just it's it's fun it is it is an absolute blast so how much power is that thing megan exactly 400 to the wheel so i made 397 and it's a it's like 397 360 torque or something like that on a 7670 um borg warner so like a smaller borg warner uh-huh. and it's that's great. It's lights up and super responsive. How are you going through tires on that thing? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> you do you just keep driving. It's uh it's pretty incredible. We've been running some like three three or four hundred treadwear tires and it's uh has tons of grip. It's a lot of fun. Um there's some one of the shocks is bent because that I that's car has an interesting story to me. Where I mean we're kinda of getting off topic, but but that was the first S chassis that I ever was involved with my buddy owned it in high school in like oh one well i'm old and uh he uh i was like that car is amazing i'm gonna build one of those and so i bought my s13 he ended up selling to a buddy of mine from college and then i uh i I got it from him about two years ago and just i said i'm gonna i'm gonna put a 2j in this thing and fix it back up so dude that's sweet uh those stories aren't aren't told very often on here so that's something i appreciate like as a true car guy like there's always that one car that you want to get back, right? And then for you to get yeah, yeah. Like my dad when I was a kid, my introduction to building cars was my dad building a '64 um, Oldsmobile Cutlass. Oh yeah. So I know who he <laughs> sold it to. I just can't afford to buy it right now. Yeah. So, but if I can't, exactly. As soon yeah. as I can, I'm gonna go get it. He's not allowed to sell it to anybody else. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. He better not. I don't get pissed. If not, I'm yeah. tracking them down. I'm like, who'd you sell it to? All right. What's their What's their name? Their mother's name? Their child's name? Like, I gotta find them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's actually pretty cool to have that. Uh, and that's just how are because we're both in California, so I have to ask this question: How the hell are you getting that thing legal? Are you doing the out of state thing? But I know no. that you can do the no, bar thing just... too. So. Um... Uh, Panic Wiring. Do you know who that is? Panic Wire? Uh, nope, but I can Google. He's in Oregon. Uh, he does a lot of the 3SGT link harnesses and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was wiring that car originally, him and Andre Hamilton, who's a, a local dude that knows... he Andre's uh, barred a couple cars locally. He's a super smart guy. Has a bunch of cool cars. Um, between him and Mark... Um, the idea, I, I've already got the stock turbos, stock USDM turbos, uh, stock ECU, stock MAF. I just started collecting different things. And so over the winter, hopefully I get to that project, I'll uh, I'll just start putting everything on 
and then getting everything wired so that all the stuff works. Um, getting the charcoal canister and all the emission stuff. The stock cat I still don't have for the uh, the Supra, but essentially we're going to bar it as a 93 Supra. So it's a 93 Supra 2J swap. That makes sense. So yeah. as long, okay, because I do know like as long as you have it listed, it has to be newer than the vehicle, right? Yeah, it's a 91. Yeah, so it's a 91 S13 with a 93 so uh, Supra. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I want to do that now. Yeah. The head, the head porting was interesting. Where it's, uh, yeah, that's that was. Uh, I, I deal with a machine shop up in Santa Rosa. It's an ALC machine. They build all the two Js up here, and uh, they they've never they had a USDM head there, so they were just kind of looking at it. And it's a it's a tricky port on one side of it, but they they got it, so it was good. Do they look at the fin like to verify of what the yeah. motor came out of? No, I mean if the motor has the fin, they do, but. Uh, the only reason I'm asking is because I want to do one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little bit tricky, uh, but it should be. I think we're going to be okay. Like I want to do yeah. like an Iron Block LS in my base model Cadillac if I can, but they only came with like a. So the iron, they're they're they're. If you just Google, it, we're getting to total change But if you Google uh, the BAR, the Bureau of Automotive Repair engine change laws, uh, they're pretty they're pretty incredible how specific they are and how enlightening they are because you just. Essentially, you do the swap, you get as close as you think it's going to go, but whatever motor you're putting into your car, you have to essentially take the whole drivetrain and emissions and then put it into the car that from the donor vehicle into the car you're putting in. So your car drives and functions like the motor you're putting in. If it's an automatic ECU, you got to put that automatic back in it. If it's a manual, you can... The manual ECU, the manual part come, gets a little bit tricky. If, the, if you're early enough, and for instance, with ours, like, we're getting a manual. We I have a manual ECU, and I'm putting a, it has a ZF five speed on it. Technically, the I need to give the ECU some sort of speed sensor, speed signal, but it doesn't have to be. There, there's a lot of gray areas. So as long as uh, it's a manual car with a manual ECU or an automatic car with an automatic ECU, uh, we should be okay. But you're all at the discretion of also the referee. So it takes a, oh, it, there's a lot that's of, fair. Yeah, there's a lot of gray. Like, so I'm, we're building a car for SEMA. This is again another tangent, but uh, it's an E30 with an F20C in it. Mm-hmm. So like an S2000 motor. Yep. And we were going to do a K24, and I ended up not doing that because I had two hour-long conversations with the referee, and they would not let me flip the uh, intake manifold. They would not let me modify it to turn 180 degrees to face the throttle body the other way. They just wouldn't. I mean, well, or better, better yet, they wouldn't tell me I could. They said, "Well, you have to do it and then bring it to us, and then we'll let you know." And oh. the engine change laws say that as long as the functionality of the intake and exhaust don't change, you can modify them. I said, "Well, the functionality doesn't change. The runners are the same length. It's just coming from the other direction." They're like, "I can't tell you if that's going to pass. You got to bring it in." And then it wasn't worth it, so we just got an F twenty instead. I'm, I'm so intrigued right now. By the way. So, Sorry, this is so like long story super- short. Like I, I work on fire alarms for a living, so we have to like follow within like a certain code to like yep. make sure things are right. And that's what it seems like with this bar, the bar thing. So now I kind of want to do something just to say I did it. Yeah, um, that's crazy. Uh, Making horse cars easy now. Now it's now it's about trying to get things legal. Yeah. So it's, with all the EPA stuff going on, we're all uh, we're all auto enthusiasts for sure when it comes to drifting. Like I feel like. Whoever d- may not own a drift car, they're still going to have something. Like if I didn't yeah. have a drift car, 
it would still be okay. project yeah, cars in the driveway. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah. So when we talk about these things, it's just it's it's very uh, interesting to me. Uh, so let's ask program questions. What what so what would you want from but as a as a person that's hopefully signed up already, wink wink for, for the shootout. Uh, what 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 would you expect, or what would you want there to be there? Like what you know what do what? you think other programs are missing? One thing I would say is I know that we all should be looking ourselves for these things. Um, I think if out of town out of towners should be like, hey, you guys should look into this place for your car storage and shit like that. Like if you're driving up with a trailer. Things like that, like this place can accommodate you. Um, there's certain Airbnbs that are that can kind of like you can park on the property and be behind a gate. Yep. I mean, shit like that would be super beneficial, you know, because that is time consuming. You're looking for those things. Yep. Um, and then, and then to be completely honest, somebody like myself, like I work a full time job. I do live in Southern California, so it's very expensive. So I also have a side job where I work on people's cars. You know, I have my nine to five and I have my gut and I got my five to nine to pay for racing, you know, so that takes time away from stuff like that. Um, I think that would be beneficial and help. Uh, I think outside of that, you know, I think everyone does something different. I'm not one to complain about things. I'm, yep. I'm more of one to like adapt to things. So I think asking me that question might be a little different. You might get a completely different answer from somebody else. Like, so from... From a support, like having understanding what the support network is around the racetrack is a super important thing. It being during winter jam is unique where, uh, so camping's free, mm -hmm. right? Uh, people can bring an RV and that kind of stuff and camp there. Space does get really tight. We do have 350 cars that come to winter jam. Okay. So, so it gets, it gets nuts real quick. Which um, camping's not an issue, but like, is there a shower situation for people who don't have an RV? There are, yeah. So there's oh. public showers that are open that night. Oh, um, see. There's 91, 96, and 100 octane gas at the pump at Sonoma. There's no E85, though. So you do have race gas, but you don't have ethanol, which is in, it's now with everybody running ethanol, it's something that you should know. It is 20 minutes away from the track in Napa, but that's something like when I, when I was competing, I would always look for E85 stations. Um, tire changing, we do have. Uh, a tire changer that comes to winter jam. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, but if, I mean, because it's a, a larger NASCAR track, there's a lot of things that, um, we just have to play ball with, you know what I mean? Like if you're planning on changing your own tires, have, have at it, you know, if you're planning on changing your neighbor's tires, have at it. But once you start charging for tire changing, that's when the track needs a certificate of insurance and that kind of stuff. Cause that makes sense. You know, it, it's just, part of being at a larger organization. Um, yeah. But if you're doing your own or your buddy's tires, no one cares. Yeah. Uh, once, you start, once you start essentially running a business where somebody can potentially get hurt and the track's liable and all this kind of fun stuff, um, that's when things get, yeah, you have to go, jump through more hoops. Yeah. That's um, what about um, track etiquette? I think something that's very important is a lot of people, you know, I think we've all seen it. Like people act like assholes. Like, what yeah, so track you know, at Sonoma because I know that you guys are a little bit more strict. Yeah, I mean, it's so you know what? Let, let's talk about like the history of Winter Jam a little bit and the history of the program there, having it run at a NASCAR track uh, or at you know the facility that it is. It's it's interesting to call it a NASCAR track. It does a lot more things than that, but 
when you when you're dealing with that size of an organization in order to make it sustainable you have to you have to play by the rules you know it's not i i, I love um grange i think it's a fun track you know I, mean? I haven't been there since they repaved it but it's also like there's very little uh let's if you do a burnout in the paddock nobody will care right but and there's nobody that's gonna hurt right yeah. potentially if you're there on a on by yourself if you're doing a burnout on the paddock in the middle of winter jam, there's infinite amount of things that could potentially go wrong. You know what I mean? If you're at the top of turn seven doing donuts in the rain, you're not going to be, you're not going to be having a good time. You know what I mean? Like there's a, a, a certain amount of order that needs to happen in order to make this, make the fun on track be a possibility. You know, like we have, there's depending on how you count it, there's six or seven tracks. There's two donut boxes. So, Sometimes we say seven, but realistically, there's six tracks that you can drive on. You know, this year we'll do Mayhon in the paddock, right? We have a donut box. We have turn two to four, which is summer jam. We have the winter jam course, which is where you guys will be competing. We have turn 11 and then we have a track on turn eight. So what we do is instead of for winter jam, we take the whole road course and then we just chop it up into these really fun drift tracks. And it's, it's a circus. It's, it's tons of, it's tons of just, dynamic driving and um in order to be able to make that happen with that many drivers and host it uh we do have to play by some rules so have fun but you know it's it's about not not being an idiot so yeah no which is fair it's it's just i've seen it like happen like because i think you're like oh don't be an asshole while i'm here you know clean up after yourself that's what i think and there's some <laughs> people who are like what's that and yeah. just do whatever the hell they please. They're like, what are you doing? Yeah, I, I think we've got a good mix now with the I I, I and a, the track don't like being the kind of the cop, so to speak. But I think now people understand that in order to make this festival sustainable, you just have to have a certain amount of respect for each other, you know. And of course, there's always going to be idiots. But uh, we'd like to try to minimize that as much as possible. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it does happen. Uh, but what uh, what's what's one thing to be aware of? Like when we get to Sonoma, is like what's the uh, actual rolling situation? Like I've never been there before. So if you were gonna, oh, yeah, like, okay, cool, yeah. Uh, it's uh, so Friday night or Friday during the whole day mm-hmm. we do rolling. So all Fridays for setup. I would highly recommend getting there early on Friday because by Friday night, most people are in their pit spaces. Okay. There's no way for us to police it, but we recommend that if you're competing, you pit at turn seven runoff, which is right next to where you guys will be competing. There's a, there's a nice size paddock there. And um, yeah, I highly recommend having the guy driving your truck and trailer or your, hopefully your partner or your friend or somebody come in early, set up a pit space for you, take as much space as you need, but try not to take more than you need because, uh, you know, we have people that come in and they bring like two RVs, three RVs. And it's like, you guys are ridiculous. And you're just taking your, your slight extra comfort is now making that guy that has spent every last penny to be there, like shove his car into a corner and then not even, you know, have to go around four other cars to get his car on the track. And it's uh, it's just about just making sure that everybody's having a good time. Yeah. And um, yeah, 
No, but knowing that you can roll in on Friday is actually a good thing because I was that was one of my biggest concerns. That's why I brought up earlier, like where can you be accommodated? Like, you know, out of town, I was driving, you know, seven yep. hours up to get there. We, all, uh, we also do tech on Friday as well, so that the, you do tech the day before. So potentially, you could start if you if you get there early on Friday, set up. You could tech on Friday, and you could hit the track right at when the track opens on Saturday. Yeah, that's and perfect. That, like we've been doing that in the past, and we've been gone through so many cars. Tech on Friday by Saturday, our lines are. I mean, in 2000, 2018, our tech line was like two or three hours long. In 2019, it was 45 minutes long, where yeah, it was still a pain in the butt, but it was because all those people teched on Friday, Saturday's tech was much more, much smoother, you know. And of course, people are going to still be rolling in late. People have work on Friday, but getting as many of those people through on Friday is absolutely key. Okay, so Saturday is an all-day track day, right? So it's pretty much as much seat time as you can get, and then Sunday is the actual competition. Yep. So for, uh, Saturday night, the bracket will be released. Um, I they might release it on Friday, depending on how uh, Brian wants to do it. Mm-hmm. But essentially, Saturday is your your track time uh, for practice, and then Sunday is your competition. So you won't, no one will be able to drive on that track besides the competitors on Sunday, and Let's say you get knocked out, you, you go through your two losses quickly. Um, you're able to drive the rest of the tracks. It's not like your event is over. You can go and have fun in the track time that you want on other tracks. So it's still, um, you're still able to enjoy the event. Oh, okay. That's good. Cause I was, that's the slightest thing I was kind of worried about. And then, um, the, is there, is it practice all day with other people doing the winter jam, like on the same track? So it's pretty much just like an open track day, and you just happen to be yep. competing the next day? It is. Yep. On on Saturday. Yep. Okay. That's what I was curious about. Yep. Um, and then I think the last question I'll have is uh, Sunday night. Is it clear out by Sunday night, or can you stay one more night and leave Monday morning? Um, yeah, so you can't leave your car in your pit space, but if you talk to either myself or the track, uh, we can, we usually can find a place that you can like hang out, you know what I mean? Because, uh, as far as like, if you're, if you're, let's say you're camping in an RV, right. We might ask you to, that, that changes actually year by year. You know what? I'm going to get a better answer for you and I'm going to, I'll, I'll post it in the group and make sure that that's publicly known. Most of the time, we're 99% cleared out. And what we ask people to do is move their – we have a, what's called Lot 2, and we move people's campers and everything kind of into Lot 2. That way, track the track can be cleaned on Monday. But I will – I'll, I'll double-check with that and see what they want to do because the track actually closes for the winter pretty shortly after winter jam. So there's like a two- or three-week break in the wintertime right after winter jam it's kind of like the last hurrah of the racetrack as well mm-hmm. and uh, depending on how that timing works with the track um i have to make sure that the what's going on on monday okay that's good to know because i was kind of worried about that too that's what i was talking about like the whole situation but probably just gonna end up driving home that night and crashing at like a what are those park and ride situations or a truck stop something right you gotta gotta make it you gotta be able to 
keep the funds down as much as possible. Right. Yeah. I, we've uh, NFD too. We we were bouncing like right after the event. We found that you like we would save so much. I mean, it was tough. It was like really tough. And depending on the, sometimes we sprung for the extra night if we had a crash or we had a bad weekend or something like that. But we would save so much money by after the event day packing up and hitting the road like just get on the road and the amount that you save in hotels and that kind of stuff and mm. timing of getting back it just sometimes it makes a lot of sense sometimes it's unsafe because you're so you know effing tired that it's no that's understandable too if the event goes late like in let's say atlanta or something like that where you're you're done at 10 to 10 p.m yeah you shouldn't be driving but if yeah which is like one o'clock our time so yeah like, yeah. yeah exactly yeah i get it so yeah, logistics. Uh, it's a it's a good way to train. You know, if you if you plan on making a step up to pro spec, um, I know uh, Ryo Connor is a good friend of mine, and I, yeah, I saw that he was. On. Yeah, yeah, you guys have had him on. Um, he, he seeing his first year in FD, and seeing kind of you know he works a full time job and yep. he has a family, and you know s- seeing kind of what he goes through to make it all work, uh, he's a really good guy to follow. You know, yeah. like if you're very if you're admirable curious, as well. Like, like, he's a really cool dude. Oh, super cool. Yeah. yeah so, super uh, smart. Him and smart Evan, work. actually. Uh, Evan Belgovich. Yep. Evan's awesome. Uh, yeah, Evan actually drove my car, uh, my E92. He was on my my team. And one of the one of the things I was like, hey, you know, you're doing an incredible job. Why don't you drive my E92 in the shootout? And he drove it there. And he's a phenomenal driver. Yep, you know, like definitely. both of them, both Evan and, uh, and Rye are phenomenal. But yeah, it's there uh, when Rye got his license. At, uh, you would know when I got his lessons? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. But, well, I think I'm going to call it there, sir. I appreciate you coming on. My pleasure, man. Yeah. Um, this will... I got to release it tonight because if I don't release it tonight, I get super busy. and I usually like don't release it for weeks later. But uh, thank you again for coming on. Um, how can people find you and how can people find... Um, registration for the event or just more info in general sure so uh if you go to sonomaraceway.com uh you'll find the sonoma drift link through that site mm-hmm. and there's registration there it's already open oh, um people are welcome to register uh we do sell out of the regular registration for winter jam so if you've listened to this and you're like hey this is not my year for competing but i do want to come check out this fun event uh i would highly recommend you register sooner than later and, um, yeah, for me, I mean, it's just at Farouk Kawai, so it's F-A-R-U-K dot K-U-G-A-Y, Instagram or Facebook. And, um, yeah, if you guys have any questions, send me a message uh, or, I don't know, <laughs> if you just want to talk about something, let me know. I, I'm pretty, my, I've got, I like talking about random stuff, so. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Uh, I think last question would be, like, if somebody were to register for winter jam but then decides later on that they want to do um the shootout can they just pay a difference or do they have to re-register for the entire thing i they would have to call in but you can you can pay the difference okay yeah that's what i was curious you'd have to call in ticketing but uh the numbers on the site as well the ticketing guys are super helpful uh chris that runs our ticketing department has essentially made drifting possible in northern california with the amount of patience and just kind of creative different solutions he comes up with. So, um, yeah, people That's are, great. people are there to help. Awesome. Alrighty, man. Thank you so much for coming out. I appreciate your time. Thanks, man. All right. You Take have it. a good one. Bye-bye. Bye.